You are listening to episode 140, that's 140 of Shades Midweek. This is a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. As usual, I am here, my name is John Mark Giroux, in the studio with Mr. Jonathan Hafes. We're here at Three Streams. It is about to get incredibly cold this weekend, and I am really excited because we are headed into Christmas weekend. We've got Christmas Eve service here coming up at Shays. We've got a Christmas Day, Sunday morning service. Everyone has Christmas plans, dinners, I'm sure. Maybe some people are traveling. And here in Birmingham, it is going to be... We're going to be in single-digit temperatures come Friday. I know, man. I'm so <laughs> excited. It's Christmas week. That's got me excited enough. But, man, right. it's just one of the frustrating things about living in the South uh, for Christmas is, you know, sometimes it can be Christmas and it can be like 70 degrees and you're wearing shorts outside and yes. it just doesn't feel right. Right. It's going to be so cold. I'm going to have a fire roaring on yes. Christmas Day. Yes. I'm so excited about that. Now, if you live in 90% of the country that's north of us, I really apologize that your travel plans are probably about to get interrupted because, as I understand it, y'all are all about to be under some serious snow and ice. Yes, we are, we're going to miss the snow, I that's believe. Right. The only action that we're going to see as far as that goes is more in North Alabama, and it's probably just going to be a dusting anyways. Right. Uh, but we do get the frigid Arctic air. Man, I have I have checked the Alabama weather blog every day. I've been so excited, and I send Ashley text messages the, of the latest info this that's is, coming this out. This is how we know we're getting old, John Mark. <laughs> yeah. If you follow the weather day to day, right, right, that's and how getting you know. so excited, you're texting your wife about it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. but no, we're excited about Christmas. We hope that you are too. We're gonna breeze through our introductory material this morning, though, because we got an interview for you that we want to get to. Yes. So, without any further ado, let's do an album. James album of the week. Give me that. Old time screaming and shouting, go up, tell it on the mountain. Faith too strong to be left out in way of the trying God. All right, this was one of my albums of the year, but I had yet to feature it on JM's album of the week yet here on Shades Midweek. It comes from country artist. He's a younger gentleman named Tyler Childers. He has a few records under his belt already, and this is his most recent album, which is titled Can I Take My Hounds to Heaven? This song is called Way of the Triune God, the Hallelujah version. So I talked about this a little bit on JM's albums of the year uh, in the previous episode, this is an album that just came out in September of 2022, and it was a little bit of a departure from his previous country music that he's been putting out. This is more of a southern gospel flair, and I I just love it so much. There's a number of good songs on this record. They recorded each of the eight songs in three different versions, the Hallelujah version, the Jubilee version, and the Joyful Noise version. The Hallelujah version is what you're hearing right now. It's kind of a typical five or six piece band, Southern gospel influence with country elements. The Jubilee version, they add 
horns and strings. And then the Joyful Noise version, they remix the the songs in different ways. They add different elements to it, maybe even some electronic elements as well. So you get a little bit of everything on this record, and I have really, really enjoyed it quite a bit. Have you have you listened to it at all since after, I featured it? Yeah, after you mentioned it in the last episode, um, I I've got a woodworking project going, and I was sanding, and there's nothing to do while sanding except yes. listen. To stuff, and so I listened to the the whole Hallelujah version yeah. of of this album, and I loved it. It was great. Yeah, it, it was so much fun. It's a lot of fun, uh, you know. And like I mentioned before, I watched a few interviews. He mentions in an interview that he grew up in a Free Will Baptist church in Kentucky, is where he's from. So he definitely grew up in Christian environments. Um, I don't really know what his status is currently. It sounds like he may still have some some tenets of some of that faith growing up remaining. And they wanted to write a record that was, uh, you know, had a lot of those old Southern gospel influences and country right. influences. And uh, I, I've really enjoyed this album. It's like uh, like I said previously, I think it's done really well. Uh, Sturgill Simpson has actually had produced some of Tyler's earlier records. Apparently, he's got some other good music that I have not listened to. Uh, there was a, a song that he put out. I'm trying to find it. It was off. He, he put out an album called Long Violent History in 2020. I have not listened, but the song Long Violent History is actually uh, about like our country's racial mm-hmm. past. And he, he addresses a lot of that uh, and uh, really strong lyrically. And I just think he's a good writer, and I think it's it's always fun to find an exciting new voice, especially when you're talking about country music. I don't sure. listen. I don't really listen to a lot of country music. I don't particularly like country radio at all, but this is not country radio. Right, right, it's right. not as mainstream. It's more alternative. So, yeah, check it out. Tyler Childers, Can I Take My Hounds to Heaven? It's a fun fun listen and uh, let me know what you think of it all right brad's not here so jonathan, the huge. jonathan uh it is your time to shine with the book club <laughs> <laughs> we're eventually going to just start like just barely letting a note of that play when brad's not here well, in honor of Brad, because he's still laid up recovering from his ACL surgery, definitely keep praying for him. But in honor of him, I'm going to pull a Bradford, and I'm going to recommend a book I haven't read. Okay. Um, actually, it's a book that hasn't even released yet. You can pre-order it, but I know it's going to be a fantastic read because the subject matter is great, Okay. and I know the author. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the author's a friend of the show. One Colin Hansen. Oh, I know this book. Has a book coming out entitled Timothy Keller. Subtitle, His Spiritual for his spiritual and Intellectual Formation. So this book is actually set to drop right at the beginning of February 2023, so you can go on and pre-order it. Uh, but let me just give you a little excerpt from what I assume is the back. I don't know. I'm reading this off Amazon. (laughs) Millions have read books and listened to sermons by Timothy Keller, but which people and what events shaped his own thinking and spiritual growth? With unfettered access to Keller's personal notes and sermons, as well as exclusive interviews with family members and longtime friends, 
Colin Hansen gives you unprecedented understanding of one of the 21st century's most influential church leaders. Yeah, let's just say, I mean, Colin Hansen has, like, he can text Keller. Like, he's got his yeah. cell phone number. I've tried to get it from him. For some reason, he won't give it to me. But I don't know. Maybe he thinks I'm going to take advantage of it. Anyway, spend any time around Timothy Keller, and you'll learn what he's reading, what he's learning, what he's seeing. The story of Timothy Keller is the story of his spiritual and intellectual influences from the woman who taught him how to read the Bible to the professor who taught him how to preach Jesus from every text to the philosopher who taught him to see beneath society's surface. For the first time, Hansen introduces readers to Keller's early years, the home where he learned to tell stories from the trees, the church where he learned to care for souls, and the city that lifted him to the international fame he never wanted. So if you've been influenced by Tim Keller at all, and I mean, he's been such an influential voice uh, in our generation, um, then you'll definitely want to pick this up. And I'm sure many of you know um, uh, that that Keller has been uh, fighting cancer over the last uh, two years, Mm -hmm. something like that. And none of us know, you know, how much time he has left. But I think that that's one of the reasons you're seeing a book like this appear is so that it could be written while the author still had access to Keller himself, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I think this will be a book that will encourage you um, and probably give you some really great insight into uh, if you've enjoyed what you've learned from Keller, like other authors, other voices that had influenced him that you would probably want to explore more so and if you enjoy biography i mean absolutely you'll enjoy it yeah yeah, that's my book that's a great recommendation i've already pre-ordered that i'm really looking forward to it 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 is really cool that we've actually sat down with the author yeah uh of this book you know sometimes you see biographies come out and and you you're like okay who is this person that's writing this what's their relationship and uh, we we've met with Colin Hansen, hung out with him a few times, and uh, I trust his work. I trust uh, his ability to put a book like this together, and it is going to be unbelievable, I'm sure, and and hugely popular, I would imagine as well. So, um, very excited for him. Maybe we can get Colin. I'm actually texting him on right the now. show uh, when the book comes out, and he can sh- maybe share some fun some fun background stories. Uh, of the writing of this book. That could be really cool. We're trying to book him right now as we speak. Jonathan is feverishly uh, sending out a text message right now. I, I am. I just typed it. I said, any chance we could get you on Shades Midweek early next year to talk about your Tim Keller book? Sent. You know, you know let, let's, let's... Listen, I don't have many, many Let's get people, him scheduled. I don't have many uh, people uh, that are that well-known that I can just text at will, but Colin is one of them. <laughs> Well, and I'm sure he he probably already had Shades Midweek on his radar. Oh, for sure. Uh, as I, a part of his book tour, oh, yeah. Plugging I mean, the plugging as book. as he's been booked, you know, uh, I'm sure by podcasts heard nationwide. We're also at the top of the list. But hey, in all seriousness, I do know this. Um, I know that he will be doing a local book signing. Um, at Little Professor, which Little Professor is a Homewood bookstore. St- so if yes. you want to pick up a copy uh, and then meet the author and uh, get a signed copy and all that, I don't have the date yet for that, but I am certain I can get it. 
and I'm certain Little Professor will be announcing it too. If you're not on Little Professor's email list, you should be. Well, you know, there's Christianity Today, and then there's Shades Midweek. Right. Pretty much one in the same. Same, same. <laughs> Samesies. You know? There's there's the Gospel Coalition, and then there's Shades Midweek, right? I mean, I mean yeah. So I'm sure that we're very high up on his priority list to, that he would grant us an interview uh, to push the book. Yeah. So, awesome. Well, we have an exciting, exciting interview for you with the Reverend Thomas Wilder. He is the pastor uh, at Bethel Baptist Church of Collegeville here in Birmingham, Alabama. He's a friend of the show, friend of Jonathan's for, for a while now. He has spoken at Shades Valley before, and he recently uh, just gave a sermon here during our Advent series this past Sunday. We wanted to have him on the show just reflect a little bit on his sermon, ask him some other various questions, have a little fun with some some Christmas stuff, and uh, it, was a, it was a great interview. So I, I really hope you all enjoy it, and we will, uh, we've got another episode coming out for you next week that we're really excited about as well. We hope you all have a great Merry, Merry Christmas with you and your loved ones this weekend. Much love to you all. Thanks for listening. Well, we are really excited this week on uh, this episode of Shades Midweek to have uh, a guest back uh, who's been with us before, but it's been a, a while, but we have in the booth with us Mr. Thomas Wilder, the Reverend, soon to be Dr. Thomas Wilder. You're in the midst of working on that doctorate, right? That is correct. Yeah. So you're, are you done with classwork? It's just... Just work now. Just, just like dissertation yeah. type stuff. So, yeah. how's how's that going? <laughs> you know, I, I have concluded that getting a doctorate is more about mental toughness than it is about anything else. Right, right. Uh, the academic work is not hard. Uh, doing the research is not hard. It's just the getting your mind into doing this yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's the all grind. All the time, yeah. And and so I think that's a that's the toughest part. Of, of this whole experience for me sure. right now. It's just with church going on and my family uh-huh. and um, my my daughter had, one of my daughters had three miscarriages going through all of that and and the birth of our first grandchild. I mean, it's just, just been so much. A lot, a lot yeah. coming at you. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, just, just staying, staying mentally focused has right. been the, the biggest issue. Do you have an estimated graduation date? May. Okay. 2023. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's within sight. It is, <laughs> which is which is a blessing and is also very scary. Right. Sure. Now, you mentioned the birth of uh, your first grandchild. When did that happen? That was uh, November the 8th at oh, no. 8.30 in the morning. All right. Wow. So, yeah. new grandfather. Yes, indeed. Congratulations, indeed. sir. Indeed. And is that how close does that grandbaby live to you? She's about 30 minutes from me. Okay. So that's not bad at all. She's she's in McCullough. I'm on the 280 side. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's not bad at all. And it's 459 most of the way. Right. So it's no problem. Right. How's your, your wife enjoying being a grandmother? My wife loves it. Absolutely <laughs> loves it. We almost have to take the baby away from her. Say, <laughs> right, right. so, okay, turn loose of the baby. Let the baby go. Uh, oh, that's so great. It's, it's been great. That's awesome. We're very thankful. We're, well, we're extremely thankful. Well, thank you for taking time out of your schedule sure. the week of Christmas 
uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, December the 20th, mm-hmm. and uh, and Thomas uh, has come into the booth because he was a guest uh, here on Sunday, uh, preaching at Shades for the second time. Uh, the first time you, you got to preach here was uh, August of 2020, and so right in the thick of all things COVID, I'm really glad you got to come back <laughs> and visit with us when, yeah, I didn't know it was been when there was more ago. than 10 people in the room. <laughs> No, it was it was a good number. I I didn't know it had been that long ago. Yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. Time, we're getting old. <laughs> don't, don't remind me. <laughs> oh, but we were really glad that you got to be able to come and be a part of our Advent series, Advent for All. And uh, I I wanted to take at least just a little bit of time uh, here at the beginning of our interview just to kind of talk through some of the things that you shared on Sunday. Um, really, just to get us started, so you chose uh, Matthew 2, mm-hmm. 16 through 18 as your text. Right. It's just a little bit of an intense text. <laughs> hey, if you're going to do it, do it. Right, right. I was just going to ask, what, what, led you, what led you to choose that text? You know, I, I wish I could say I, I had a strong leading, but I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I was just going through the scriptures and, and just praying about Okay, God, what do you, you have me share? And, and with me, a lot of times, it's just a simple impression. And so mm-hmm. I usually go with a simple impression. And that was the impression that um, that came to me, to come to, to Matthew and, and to deal with that, particularly when I knew what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, just trying to relate a time that is meant for joy um, to what the people in the, the first... Christmas went through, mm. or around that first Christmas yeah. went through. Yeah. So for anybody who wasn't here, that text uh, is after the the wise men uh, have found uh, the baby Jesus uh, and are have they're under instruction to come back to Herod the king, mm-hmm. and they don't do that. And so out of his rage and anger, he has uh, all of the boys two years and under in the region killed in an effort to try and snuff out this this newborn king. Um, and yeah, I just, I, you drew out of it, you know, four central kind of themes all surrounding Herod, um, in, in the midst of why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and I don't know, like it was, it was very, uh, it was very powerful and very impactful for me. Um, because I think, I think this specific event, uh, in the midst of the Christmas narrative, whether you're in Luke or whether you're in Matthew, like we don't know what to do with this, mm-hmm. you know, because everything else is kind of like standard Christmas fare, right? You know, so whether that's angel appearing to Mary or in Joseph's dream or the, the birth of Jesus shepherds uh, or even the wise men leading up to this right. passage, like all of it's kind of like down the middle Christmas. But then we get this passage that's horrific and and it's like what what do you do with that and you know the season of advent in and of itself being a season of waiting and longing for christ to come make all things new i think you just brought that tension to the forefront and then pressed it into uh the present uh, in ways that we can relate to in our own lives. And so I thought I'd just ask you a little bit just about each of kind of the four things okay. that you laid out. So 
first thing you talked about these are these are my notes from Sunday. Okay, so I got lots of notes. Um, but uh, you talked about Herod's power was illegitimate. Mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, an Edomite, not rightful king from David's line. He had this illegitimate power that he therefore felt like he needed to maintain and would do so through illegitimate right. means. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's I think that was the line. Um illegitimate power is always right. maintained through illegitimate right. means. And so I was curious, uh what are some ways, like as a pastor, as you look at the church right now, what are some ways that you think we try to hold on to illegitimate power? I think I think as pastors, sometimes if we are not comfortable with the fact that God has led us there and that God maintains us there, that we can sort of be a dictator. Mm. Uh, we try to possess all things. We try to control all things. I do think you need to manage all things. Okay, I do. I, I, if, if you're the point person, you need to know what's going on in children's church. You need to know what's going on in the parking lot. You need to go know what's going on when they go to hospital visits. You need to know that because it all reflects back on you. Yeah, we can tell you about some parking lot stuff <laughs> here. So. But, but, but I think sometimes when you try to be everything, it, mm-hmm. you try to be the finance chair. You try to be uh, the missionary chair. You try to be the market person. You try to be everything by yourself. Now, again, I think all those need to report to you and all you need to know what's going on. But uh, there are times, and one of the tenets of our ministry is that we try to have skill and integrity. There are a lot of times you can have integrity, but you don't have the skill to do it. Uh, I believe I have integrity, but I am not an accountant. And so I have accountants to keep up with what's going on, to make sure the the proper records are being filed, make sure things are put in a certain order so that when I have a congregational meeting, everything is there. And if there's a question about finances, uh, other than maybe if somebody gave a tremendous gift, then then I let the accountants handle it. Sure. You know, I need to know what's going on, but but they need to handle that. Or if there's an issue in the nursery, uh, I need to know what's going on, but I need somebody in that position to do what they need to do or, or in Christian education or whatever else. So, so I think sometimes w- when we feel that we have to stay there by our own means, we get in trouble. Uh, let, let me share you, with you, for, if I may, one, one thing that happened in my own life. I, uh, I resigned from Bethel probably around 1997. I resigned. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I, I resigned because we were going through building a new church, and I had all these moving pieces. Well, some of these pieces decided they wanted to take things and take them their way. And, and I had to address that. And so I addressed it. And it just ended up being just a, an intense struggle. Um, we, we, we just had some serious, serious heated discussions. And so I made up my mind, okay, I'm going to get the church into, uh, I'm going to get the church into the new building. And after that, I'm going to resign. So that's what I did. I got them into the new building. And then shortly after we got in, got settled, I resigned. I said, I, 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 I can't lead like this. If I tell somebody one thing and somebody on the official board tells them something else, I have a problem with that. I really do. 
And so I resigned, and uh, they asked me, okay, what would it take for you to stay? And so I you know, prayed about it, and then I went and just listed some things that I wanted. And one of the things I wanted was I want to be able to have control over the people or final authority over the people that I supervise. If you report to me, nobody should come and tell you to do something else that undermines what I've asked you to do. I, I just, just my corporate environment, I just didn't believe that. Anyway, to make a long story short, they accepted what I had said I wanted. And, and as I was praying about it, I said, God, why did you let me go through this? And, and the answer I, I thought I received in my spirit was this. You needed to know that I've put you there and that I sustain you there. You, you needed to go through this battle because you needed to understand you're not there by your own choice. You're not there by your own power. You're not there by your own control. I put you there. And as long as I want you there, I'll keep you there. And that was uh, over 20 years ago. And, and bringing back to the point, I, I think we all have to know this is God's calling for us. Wherever we are, this is God's calling. And as long as we're doing what God wants us to do, and as long as we are where God wants us to be, God will make a way to sustain us there. He will sustain us there. But if we think, I've got to stay here, I've got to control this. I've got to show them that I'm the wisest and the smartest. I've, I've got to be uh, the smartest in the room. Then I think we get into ego. And, and ego and spirituality to me don't mix. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think the Holy Spirit respects anybody's ego. He respects anointing. And, and I think if you are wise enough, if you're humble enough, if you walk with God enough, even if there are people that are more gifted God will, will allow you to still be able to shepherd that group uh, and still move forward. And, and so that's what I mean by illegitimate power. I, I think there are too many people manipulating things. Uh, even when it comes to move of the spirits, you know, if God uses us to do something simple, not something simple, but, but something spiritual, uh, maybe we lay hands on somebody at one point and they get healed of cancer, then we automatically think, okay, I got to do this every time. Well, no. If, if, if the Spirit moves upon you to lay hands on one person and they get healed, but the next person you pray, pray for die, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's not mine. Mm. That, that's, that's not me. But when I think I have to manufacture healing or I have to mm. manufacture a ministry based on a one-time event, then that's when I get in the ego. That's when I start pretending that's when I start faking stuff, and that's when God pulls the covers back and lets everybody see you're a phony. Mm. And so you have to go back to, to just depending on him day by day, moment by moment, to do what only he can do. Uh, so, so that's what I mean by illegitimate power. And, and I always want to try to be in a situation where I only speak when he speaks. I move when he moves. If he says stop, I stop regardless to whatever the circumstances are, regardless to whatever I perceive the consequences are, illegitimate control, illegitimate power always has to be maintained by illegitimate means. So that's what I meant by that. Yeah. Long answer to a short question. No, no, no. That's, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, as we, throughout the Advent series, uh, you know, we focus specifically 
on issues of uh, race mm-hmm. and racism, and you did a lot of application work in that specific direction on Sunday. And when I think about this idea of illegitimate power, always maintained by illegitimate means, I mean, when you bring that idea to bear on the history of race uh, in our country alone, I mean, you can see very much how that narrative plays out over and over and over again. Um, And, you know, the the gospel, the advent of Christ, uh, crushes all notions of illegitimate power, right? Absolutely. Um, And I think that's uh, in a different way, but in a way, what we see going on with Herod, right? The advent of Jesus is crushing his illegitimate claim mm-hmm. to power. And to be the only king. Yeah. Because you know, he has to be king by force. Jesus comes, he heals people, he teaches, he feeds people, mm-hmm. and they automatically come to him, and they want to make him king. Right. And he has to say, no, 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 I didn't come to be king. Mm-hmm. But, but Herod wants to be king, so he has to do all these things to maintain that power. Jesus mm-hmm. just flows with God. And they come to him and say, look, you need to be our king. <laughs> You're the one that we're going to rule. Mm-hmm. And it's not income for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. The, the second um, main point that you drew out was uh, Herod's purposes were incongruent mm-hmm. with the purposes of God. Um, and I was going to ask you, and I'm sure this is a, this is a question that, it's it's really hard. You got to struggle for an answer on this one. But uh, what are some ways that you think maybe Christians today, uh, within our churches, are susceptible to having incongruent purposes with the purpose, or or maybe even you could ask it: uh, What are ways uh, people are trying to get God on board with their purposes? Maybe you don't see that, <laughs> that never at all. Happens. No, absolutely I've never not. seen that. No, no. at all. Uh, yeah, it's it's just so widespread that um, all the right-handed people say that God is right-handed because Jesus is sitting on his left, right? Mm. He's sitting on his left hand. That, that's, that's an old joke. Um, but we, that's who we are. We, we, we're always right. Uh, mm. And everything we do is always right. And everything we do is always pure. Yeah, I see things from my perspective, but there's a perspective that you have. And the perspective of the kingdom is for us to see the whole picture, not just my side, not just your side. The perspective of the kingdom is what brings glory and honor to God, not what brings glory and honor to me or to you. The perspective of the kingdom is that we lift up Christ and that he draws men to himself. Now, if we're in a, let's say we're all in a revival and God brings thousands of souls to Christ. Well, some of them may join your church, some of them may join my church, some of them may join whomever church. That, that's okay if, if that's the vein in which you want to grow your faith. But, but when we come to the point of, of trying to conquer everybody for us or making our name great or trying to make sure that people remember us, I think that the, all of that is, is, is not consistent with who Christ is. Mm-hmm. You know, John the Baptist had it, said it best. He must increase, but I must decrease. And, and it, it's tough 
particularly as pastors, I've had it happen to me where you you birth somebody, you feed somebody, and when they get to a certain stage, they say, "Okay, gotta go, <laughs> see ya," you know, and and you you want to say, "No, no, no, come back, come back, come back," because you know I need you, but but no, your your job is to do what God has called you to do, and and we always have to make sure that our purposes are in line with His. Mm. Why are we doing what we're doing? We we sing hymns, okay? Well. Why are you doing that? Why Why are you singing that song? Is it because everybody's every everybody before you is already uh, everybody before you has sang the same hymn, or does it have meaning for you? And there are times, even with contemporary worship services, that this generation sees God in a different light, and they use different expressions to worship. It doesn't mean that what I did is wrong. And it doesn't mean what I did didn't serve my generation. It's just they're going to something else. Well, if I'm trying to make them come back because that's the way we did it, I don't think that's in line with what God wants us to do. Mm-hmm. And so we always have to be in in an attitude of, okay, God, am I lining up with what you want? Is, is this what you want? And and when we do that, then I think God blesses us, and then there's, there's not the stress of trying to maintain me and mine. There, there, is a, uh, there is a flow, I believe, that the Holy Spirit gives to us to cause us to be in line with what God wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we, back, back to power, when we have to pump up something to make it stand, then maybe the purpose has gone out of it. And we need to either repurpose it, rethink it, repent, or realize that day is over. I'm I'm curious from your perspective um, because you've got a uh, you've got just a couple of years on me. That's probably a lot. Um, so so your perspective over the span of your life when we talk about Christians like. Uh, their purposes being incongruent with God's purposes, them trying to get God on board with what they're doing. You know, one of the ways I, I think we encounter this a lot, you know, right now is uh, politically. Mm. Oh, absolutely. You know, people view their political party and its agenda as uh, congruent with God's purposes, even when it's not. And, you know, uh, very much want to uh get God on board, if you will, with their party or, or baptize their party, mm-hmm. if you will, as being the most biblical party, most biblical agenda, what have not. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, does that feel more amped and intense now? Like Christians are more susceptible now to that than previously? Because in, in, in my lifetime, it does. But I know, like, just over the course of more history, like, do you think this is a new thing? It's always been a present thing? I don't think it's always been a, a, a thing. Um, in my 65 years, I've seen it more pronounced in mm. the last few years because Christianity is becoming popular and. Christianity is the way our nation has always been, and so mm. um, whatever we do, we want God to stamp it. You know, we we did the Crusades because we wanted to spread the name of God to the heathens. 
oh, and by the way, y'all got a lot of gold over there, so we'll take this gold, but we'll give you God. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, you know, that, that is artificial. I was listening this morning about somebody wanting to teach people how to pray and get results for $1,500. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just, I, I don't like that. And I, and I really, I really do think that God is going to have some serious words, mm-hmm. some serious words on Judgment Day mm-hmm. for for people who mislead people in the name of Christ. I really do. Whether it's from a political standpoint or even from a religious standpoint or from whatever standpoint. I, I really do. I, I remember the verse that says it is better for you to have a millstone to be cast around your neck and you'd be cast in the sea than, than, than to offend one of the little ones. And there are a lot of people. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, I uh, remember the story about him. He heard so much about Christ and was an admirer of Christ, so he went to a church. And when he went to a church to find more about Christ, the usher saw him walk in and basically said, we don't want your kind here. And so he walked out. And he never, as far as I know, um, darkened the doors of a church again. Because an usher uh, saw the color of his skin and said, we don't want you here. Now, he, he's coming to hear about Christ. And, and to turn somebody away because of the color of their skin from hearing Christ, even if you don't like them, let them hear Christ and let them go back and share it to their own generation. But, but to do that, I think, is a grievous thing. It really is. And, and for me, as I shared Sunday, it, it was a very grievous thing to hear some prominent ministers get on TV on both sides mm-hmm. and say that if you vote the other way, then you can't be God or, or you, you're demon-possessed or something mm-hmm. like that. That was, It was so disheartening that some of them I, I couldn't listen to anymore. Mm-hmm. But then I found something working in my heart that I didn't like, a, a, sort of a me despising them and a resentment towards them. So... I've gone back and I purposely tried to listen to some of them to see if I can get some of this out of my heart because I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to have any enmity against anybody mm-hmm. but but that was very hurtful to me mm-hmm. it, it really was now to, let me say I am an independent voter I, I am I, I don't line up with anybody any particular party I'm independent I look at issues uh, more than anything I look at people mm-hmm. because I think no matter what, the political agenda is if a person has no integrity, they're not going to keep the agenda. Mm. Or if a person has integrity, even if the agenda is wrong, that they will vote their conscience. Mm. So so I look for that and I pray about, okay, God, who, who would you have me to vote for in this? But to wholesalely say everybody who is red or blue or pink mm-hmm. or polka mm-hmm. dot is going to hell because they vote a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think you've stepped outside of your authority as a as a believer and as a Christian. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, our next question was to ask you to tell us who you voted for <laughs> in the vote last time was Wilder I, I'm for president. I'm just kidding. You'll right. <laughs> <laughs> never do you wrong because he's never going to run for right. president. Oh, no, no. I um, yeah. I I think all of that is is. Unfortunately, so true, um, and it's—I don't know—it—it's it, particularly frustrating uh, to feel 
that the foundational, um, the foundation for most people is not Christ, but their political party. Mm-hmm. And Christ is more of uh, a mascot or stamp of approval right. that they want to place on to what's really at the foundation. And I think as we talk about issues of race, I think that that's one of the things that makes the conversation so hard or volatile within the church is that our starting point is not the common ground of scripture and the gospel. Uh, people start from the right or the left, mm-hmm. you know, and, and instead of coming at it from a kingdom perspective where we'd have a lot more common ground, you know, uh, and then working out into the particulars of, of various issues. I, I agree. I, I, I really do think that most of us have most things in common. Hmm. Most of us, I believe, want an environment in which we can raise our children in a safe, secure environment. Hmm. Most of us, I believe, want a job that we can go and give our talents and be equitably compensated Hmm. with an opportunity to move forward. Most of us want to send our children to school where they are taught the basics without somebody trying to program them against what I'm trying to teach them at home. Mm. Uh, most of us just want to get along. I mean, I just want to get along. Right. You know, I, I, I just want to be able to work out whatever God has called me to do in this life without any artificial barriers or without any um, just artificial things coming in trying to, to, to trip me up or, or to even to pump me up. I, I think that's what most people want. There are a few who want to control. There are a few who want to, do, to, to be dominant over everything. Uh, and I think those few, we end up allowing to poison the silent majority because I think the majority of people are silent because they just don't want to get involved. And there are a lot of things I really wish I didn't have to get involved in, but then there's a there's a proverb that says, "If you forbear to deliver those that are drawn to death," and I forgot the rest of it, but it says, "And, and you say, behold, I know it, I knew it not. Does not he that searches the heart know?" And and the point is that that we can't say that we don't know things or, or we were not aware of things when we see it and then don't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't believe we should jump into every fight. I really don't. Sure. But if we see a child being uh, attacked on a playground or somebody trying to kidnap a child, it doesn't matter to me if the child is black, white, blue, green, or polka dotted or striped. If I see a person attacking the child, there's going to be a holy beatdown. <laughs> I mean, there is. Seriously. Right, right yeah. And, and, and I would stand before God and say, okay, God, um, I thought this was right. I, I just, I don't think you wanted me to sit by and pray for this child as mm. this person is trying to carry them off. Uh, and I think God will forgive me. I really do. Uh, so so we, 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 we have to get involved in something. Right. Some, some things... Uh, you know, our pastor church where Shuttlesworth was, he didn't come to Birmingham to get involved in the civil rights movement. He actually came to pastor church and he got involved because he went down to city hall to ask for some help 
in in shutting down in a, in a night spot in the community. That's that's why he went because it was there were a lot of little they call them saloons illegal saloons, uh, and what happened in the saloon spread into the community, and so they, you know lots of community fights because right. somebody looked at somebody's girlfriend in in the saloon. So he said, "Look, help me shut this down," and 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 the response he got was. In essence, we don't care what happens to y'all out there. Mm-hmm. Now, these, these are community citizens. They're in the uh, city limits. They're paying taxes like everybody mm-hmm. else. So all he's asking for is just a little bit of police protection to help shut down a legal saloon. So that, that's how he got into the fight. Right. King, King went to Dexter. He had an offer in um, – he was in, from Atlanta. He got an offer f- from Atlanta. But he wanted a nice, quiet place in which to write his dissertation. That's why he accepted Montgomery, because it was a nice, quiet place. And even if you research his agreement with Dexter, it said, you have to give me time off to write my dissertation. So that's why he went there. Lo and behold, he ends up being the new kid in the block, and there were two other big factions that um, they knew if either one of those got to be the leader of of the movement there, that there was going to be a problem. So they said, look, there's this new kid in town named King. He didn't know anything about what's going on, but he can move people with words. Let's ask him to be the chairman of the Montgomery Improvement Committee. So that's how he got there. Wow. He, was, he wasn't going trying to start anything. He's just right. going to try to finish a dissertation. And, and the point is that there are times, I believe, that God leads you to places, unbeknownst to you, with destiny. Is going to meet you. David is carrying food up to his brothers. He's not trying to pick a fight with Goliath. He probably doesn't even know Goliath exists, but he's going up there to carry food. And while he's up there, he hears, I defy the God of Israel. Let somebody come down and fight me. And then he asks, who is this dude? Right. I mean, who, who is this? That's how he ends up in the fight with Goliath. But he didn't go saying, I'm going to get in fight with the biggest Philistine out there. He went uh, just to do a servant's duty, to carry food to his brothers. And so destiny meets him there. And, and the point is, I think, that, that God many times will quietly lead us to places where destiny meets us. Mm-hmm. And when that time comes, we cannot be afraid to step into that moment. I have more questions written down. Uh, about the sermon, but I think I'm going to like pass on those. Um, Cause uh, I talk too much. No, right? no, no, not at all. Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're pastors. We always talk too much. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a pastor, an audience and a mic and take a nap, baby, because it's coming. <laughs> oh man. But no, uh, primarily because, uh, I, well, before I ask you this next question, is this, I don't know how deep we are in what our time is. Should we should we do our special edition? You want to do our lightning round? Our special edition lightning round? We can do it. All right. Let's do it. All right. We're going to do a lightning round, all right? It sounds intense. <laughs> it is. It's very intense. But this is going to be a special edition because it's the week of Christmas. So this is going to be a Christmas edition lightning round. So basically, we're just going to throw some really not serious questions at you. And, yeah, right. you just respond as quickly as possible. Okay. So, uh, John Mark, we can just go back and forth. Okay. And we brainstorm these questions separately, so hopefully they're not the exact same. They're probably similar, <laughs> they're probably. but you know what? We're just going to flow with it. All right. What is the best breakfast to have on Christmas morning? 
Oh, I love uh, corn grits, uh, beef sausage, toast, and eggs and orange juice. That's awesome. You do that every Christmas? Not every Christmas. There are a lot of Christmases I do, and I, I usually prepare it. That's so. awesome. All right. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie that you like to watch? I like It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I do enjoy that. It's an old movie, mm. but I like that. But the one that I really remember from my childhood, there are two. One is How the Grinch Stole Christmas and the Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yep. Christmas is not Christmas unless I see a Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. I'm it, with you. It's, it's uh, great. The, the soundtrack uh, to to that special is one of my favorite like oh, right? things to put on as far as Christmas music goes. I, it's not Christmas until Vince Guaraldi is tickling the ivory. Yeah, a little jazz Christmas. It's yeah. really special. Yeah. Real tree or fake tree? Real. Absolutely. That's <laughs> no what I'm question, talking about. No question That's about what I'm it. talking okay. about. On, on the topic of Christmas trees, when is the appropriate... This is a two-part. <laughs> I know what's coming. When is the appropriate time to put up your Christmas tree followed up with when's the appropriate time to take down the Christmas tree? Three weeks before Christmas to me is the appropriate time to put it up. The day before New Year's is the appropriate time to take it down. Okay. I love I love how everyone has very specific <laughs> answers ready to These go. These are written in the Bible, didn't you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. What uh what's your favorite gift that you ever received? There were three. Bicycle, a pop gun, and a Bob Hayes football uniform. Now, you probably don't know who Bob Hayes was. I don't. I don't know who Bob, <laughs> Bob Hayes. Bob Hayes used to play with the Dallas Cowboys. He was called um, some kind of bullet, but he wore number 22. He was, at that time, the fastest man in football. And he was a wide receiver, and I wanted to be like Bob Hayes. And uh, I remember getting a Bob Hayes football uniform, and that was awesome. And then I remember getting a bike. And then I remember getting a pop gun. It had two little. See, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> it, it was it was there was air that came out of it. And it had two little stoppers. It was double barreled. That's and, awesome. And you would pull it, pull a trigger, and the air would pop the stopper out. It was fun. I, Google it. Okay, Google pop gun. <laughs> well, so let me date myself for you. So because my uh, my parents are grew up in Texas and I, I was born there and so I grew up watching the Dallas Cowboys. And you don't know who Bob Hayes No, because I grew up in the Emmett Smith Troy Aitman era. <laughs> I'll date myself for Michael you. Irvin. Oh, pretty pretty uh, way, way, <laughs> way later. Way later, yeah. Google Bob Hayes. All right. Wh- do you have a favorite Christmas carol? My favorite Christmas, I have several. One is Oh Holy Night because it always Mm -hmm. inspires worship. Mm -hmm. The other is Oh Come All Ye Faithful because I love the phrase, Oh Come, Let Us Adore Him. Mm -hmm. Oh Come, Let Us Adore Him. Oh Come, Let Us Adore Him. Christ the Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think those are just absolutely fantastic. I love all the old Christmas carols. That's awesome. Do you do uh, white lights or colorful lights on the tree? I have, because I don't put up a lot of Christmas trees, my wife does that. I get out rude. I love colored lights. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But she does the white lights. Thing. All right. But, but just recently, because... Typically a passionate disagreement here. <laughs> but she's gotten to win now. She she made me, a couple of years ago, my own tree with the colored lights. There you on go. It. There, there you go. I, I love the color. Jay, what are y'all doing in y'all's house? 
We have white lights. I'm trying to think. We we actually last year we had a tree in our front yard that had the big old school bulb oh, multicolored yeah. lights. Yeah, that's it. I love that. That's yeah. it, man. I really do. And we we hang that in our boys' bedroom too. The old school big colored bulbs. Nice. As a kid, that. so so we always had just kind of the normal white lights on the tree uh, growing up. And as a kid, I remember always wanting color colorful lights because I always thought it was so cool. But now as an adult, I get all nostalgic, and so I do white lights because that's what I grew up with. Sure. <laughs> well, but see, the spiritual part is that since the Advent was sent for all people, you have to have colored that's lights. That's right. That's right. Representing all the people of the world. Amen. That's right. There I'm going to so, tell my wife that. Yeah, you, that. you do. That was scriptural. Listen, Reverend Wilder said it was in the Bible. <laughs> All right, so we talked about Christmas carols. What about just a favorite Christmas song? There are two favorite Christmas songs. Uh, actually, there's more since I've gotten older. But when I was a younger man, Charles Brown made a song called Merry Christmas, Baby. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, and yes. And then there's another song called Please Come Home for Christmas. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Christmas is not Christmas unless I hear one of those two. But then as I got older, uh, Luther Vandross makes a version of have yourself a Merry Christmas. It is nice. It is slow. Mm-hmm. It is mellow. Um, that's the kind of song you have your wife looking at the Christmas lights with. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's a nice song. I remember, uh, Jonathan, when 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 I was a kid in music, music pirating got real popular with Napster. Yeah. I downloaded uh, one of the songs that I downloaded was Luther Vandross's <laughs> Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Oh, uh, that song. is an excellent version. And with uh, the other two songs you mentioned, Merry Christmas Baby and Please Come Home for Christmas, I think I had heard the the covered versions of those songs, and it wasn't until later that I went back and actually heard some of the originals, the Charles Brown, uh, because, you know, the Eagles covered Please Come Home for Christmas and uh, Bruce Springsteen covered Merry Christmas Baby. But those originals are uh, oh, fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So John's going to have to Google it. I was, I was, <laughs> I was, I was looking <laughs> up Luther Vandross. I just added the Christmas album to my library to listen to. You need to listen to Please Come Home for Christmas. Oh, man. I mean, I- um, uh, have yourself a mirror look. Right, right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. The most controversial question I will ask you today, okay. Santa or no Santa? I, for my kids, we did no Santa. The largest hesitation he had in answering the question. Because well, yeah, I, I grew up, my, my parents, my parents uh, actually uh, taught me Santa. But when we grew up, um, you know, it, it was it was just a thing. We just believed in it. Um, but then as I got older, it's not that I purposefully did not teach them. We just we just never it yeah. just never came up. Yeah. We, it was sure. always what what they got for Christmas. Sure. Well, I, I think that it is a no win situation, personally, because if you if you do Santa, then we probably should have put a disclaimer up. Disclaimer parents <laughs> if, you, if your kids <laughs> are listening. <laughs> um if you do Santa, uh then whenever your kids figure it out. Like you got to deal with the fallout of that, you know. Yes. So whether they're angry or, or whatever, you got to deal with the fallout. But if you don't do Santa, you're in my boat um, because we didn't do Santa, and now I have kids who are old enough who will look at us and tell us they're disappointed <laughs> that we didn't do Santa with That's them funny. when they were kids. I'm like, I can't win. You can't win in this thing. 
So well, our our almost eight year old, uh, and once again, if there are parents listening, turn it off if you have children <laughs> in the car. But our almost eight year old Moses figured out this year Santa and uh, figured out that it was us, and so. But we have little brother still in the house that still believes in Santa, so that's been uh, tricky. Right. To try to okay, Moses. I, I know you know that you know that you're in on the in on the thing now. Uh, but we have to we have to keep playing along. Right, right. <laughs> you can be in on the whole. Don't, don't the whole spoil thing. the game. Yes. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I examine things like that, and I, I think it's important as a child to have things to believe in, mm. to believe yeah. in the magic. I am concerned. Just just one serious note that that most of our children don't have an age of innocence anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's sad, but you mm. used to could trust every adult. You could trust every old man. Uh, when people gave you candy, you never thought about this person's trying to kidnap me. It's just, I remember this little lady at, at church used to give me, I think it had probably 18 sticks of peppermint in it. She would just, and I still remember her face to this day, and I was probably six years old. Mm. But she used to bring it to me, and, and I just, it mm. was just a, very innocent time where you where you trusted people you never thought about anybody molesting you or kidnapping you and mm. and so i i kind of wish our, our kids had that whether it's wh- whatever uh, means that there needs to be some age of innocence yeah where you don't have to tell them in the first grade okay don't let anybody touch you where your underwear right. are right uh, that kind of thing mm. all right do you have any? This is, is my last one, okay. and it's just the flip of a question I've already asked. Okay. What's your favorite gift you've ever given? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I think I gave my I gave my wife some jewelry. Uh, she she's always a standard by which I measure whether or not I've done well. It's it's a good me. standard. Uh, <laughs> It's called we, wisdom right there. We, we have a joke now in our house. And my wife doesn't like it that much, but so, <laughs> so, sometimes we'll sounds, wait. Sounds like all of my jokes. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll wait until Michelle opens her presents, and then we can determine whether or not we're going to have a good Christmas morning <laughs> or not. <laughs> so, she she hates it. You know, the, all the kids are waiting. They'll look at me, and they'll wait till the mom opens their presents, and then they'll do this or that, you know. And they go, okay, Dad, you did okay this year. Oh, Dad, that's hilarious. It's going to be tough this year, man. That's hilarious. So, that's awesome. My wife doesn't like that, but we, we all have a lot of fun with it. Oh, and I'm there's sure. a lot of truth in it, too. Oh. Uh, do you have a uh, – my last one is do you have a favorite Christmas tradition, something that maybe you do every year that that you love? We all get together as, until I start getting married, but we would all get together and we would all make – uh, a videotape that morning. Normally, I would start when they were real young. I could videotape them in bed sleeping, and then I would wake them up, and then I would videotape them opening up their presents and everything else. And into this day, I, my oldest is 35. To this day, I will go back, and on Christmas morning, we'll we'll look at some of those old videos. And That's just, fun. Just have a good good time. Yeah. So that's, that's that's my best Christmas. That's uh, awesome memory. That's awesome. Well, you survived our our lightning round, sir. Excellent Glad job. Glad to be in the house. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, well, I know we, we do not want to uh, abuse your time. Um, and so maybe right here, just kind of as we, we close up, could you tell us a little bit about one new Birmingham? Uh, because uh, so John Mark and I, uh, along with Brad, were able to attend an event held at uh, Bethel uh, with Dr. Tony Evans. And so maybe just tell us a little bit about One New Birmingham and, and that event, what it was aimed at. And, okay. Yeah. One New Birmingham actually uh, started out right after, if I remember correct, right after George Floyd was murdered. Mm-hmm. And we started with an op-ed in the newspaper and – the op-ed basically said, look, when when King and Shuttlesworth and the other people marched in the 60s, the church sat by and did nothing. And that we as pastors have decided we're not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a voice. And that we as pastors, black and white pastors, are going to try, and Hispanic as well, pu- pull together and try to shepherd our nation through this crisis. Because before, we sat back and we just let the world do what they wanted to do. We're not going to do that this time. And and so we, we started getting together uh, after that op-ed, and we had conversations generally once, usually once about once every two or three months, had conversations about issues. Uh, Tim Callum, who is one of the uh, church, well, actually the church that we're partners with, he's, he's Mountain Brook Community Church, we decided we would get together uh, even before that, and had discussions on race. And we talked about why is it so difficult for black people and white people just to get together and talk and understand each other. Mm. Then after President Trump was elected, uh, there was a, just a lot of animosity on both sides. Mm. And and so we decided, okay, it's time for another conversation. So we got together and we talked about, okay, why are black people afraid of Trump? and his election, and why are white people thinking he's the second coming of Jesus Christ? Mm. And and what's the disconnect? Because there seem to have been no people in the middle. It's either, okay, right. this, this, and I've heard it said, this is King Cyrus. He has, mm. you know, God has raised him up, and he's going to come back, and he's going to lead us into righteousness. But then there were other people saying, you know, this this is the devil incarnate here. He, mm. Here's a man who has done all these things, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there was a big gap. And what we tried to do is just talk about, okay, w- what are you seeing from your perspective? And then from the other side, what are you seeing from your perspective? And, and so that's what One New Birmingham is about. It, it's about the church trying to shepherd, uh, particularly Birmingham, I said the nation, but, but right now Birmingham through this time because right. I think this is a time where there needs to be civil voices, there, mm-hmm. there needs to be reasonable voices, there needs to be voices that can hear both sides of an issue and try to bring people together rather than using our pulpit to divide people. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what we do, uh, and we're, we're, we meet, uh, we had a call, uh, voice Zoom meeting just the other day where we're just looking at some opportunities going forward. What, what can we do uh, to have the church out front we're never going to agree on everything doctrinally. Sure. We do believe Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. We believe he uh, came into the world during his Advent season to, to save us all yes. from our particular brand of sin and uh, that he is coming back again and that he has charged his church to work together in society 
to make his kingdom known. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's primarily who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and we try to maintain that kind of closeness, that kind of unity. Some of us have preached in the other's churches. We've had joint services together. Mm-hmm. And, and we're just trying to understand one another. Just, again, just, just trying to make sure that the church is part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that, I mean, I can speak for all of us on staff here that we are, uh, we've been blessed uh, by the work of One New Birmingham. And we, all of us came away from our experience uh, with the event uh, with Dr. Evans, just talking about how we wanted to be more involved in any way that we could be. Good. We appreciate that. And, and may I add just one other thing? Sure. This yeah. is not concerning Dr. Evans nor One New Birmingham, but the Historic Bethel Baptist Church has a separate 501c3 called the Historic Bethel Baptist Church Community Restoration Fund. And and one of the things that, that we, uh, as well as a number of other historic sites, are doing in Birmingham next year is celebrating the 60th anniversary of 1963, right. mm-hmm. which is when all the turbulence just sort of came to an head. What Bethel is, is planning is what we call a healing conference. Mm-hmm. Because we realized that there are a lot of people who were traumatized by what happened in 1963, and they've never had a chance to just try to heal. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at uh, people on the black side of 63, but also people on the white side. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can imagine as a police officer, I am sworn to uphold the law. I just want to do a good job and protect the community. But yet I have a com- police commissioner or a public safety commissioner who's telling me that I need to beat these little kids and I need to arrest these little kids. Mm-hmm. Now, I have kids that i got to take care of, so I need my job. Okay, I need my job. Mm-hmm. But I have a problem with doing what I'm told to do, but I can't express it anywhere because the culture that I'm in won't allow me to say, look, I have a problem with this. Or if I'm a fireman, uh, yeah, I have to turn the hoses on these people. I have to do that because I'm a fireman. I've got to do this. If I don't do this, then I'm going to be called all kinds of names, and I'll probably lose my job. But I have a problem with that. And, and there's, there's never been, up to this point, a safe place for people on both sides to come together and to try to heal mm-hmm. from the trauma that, that occurred. One of the things I really want to do, if, if I can find them, is find the descendants of Bull Connor. Because I'm sure there's somebody out there in his family who probably thought he had went over the edge. Uh, Bob, uh, I think he had Bob Chambliss. The, the way he was convicted of the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, I think it was his niece, I think it was his niece, had a real bad conscience, not, not, um, not only because of what he did, but because he would brag about it. He would brag about the people he had killed and the bombs that he had set off. And and he just did something to her conscience. Mm-hmm. But she she's not had a chance, and people like her have not had a chance to say, look, th- this killed me too. You know, it, I, I wasn't a part of this. I didn't want to be a part of it. But I suffered some real guilt because I knew what was going on, and I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're we're planning this next year in September of next year. We we want to try to have a healing conference where people from all around, from all circles, from all sides, can come in 
and and just deal with whatever trauma they have because th- th- there are times I can imagine if you sat by and did nothing, it can affect you just as much as the people who actually did the bad things. Well, will that conference be at Bethel? It will be. Uh, we're looking now at trying to get it at one of the civic centers. Okay. I mean, at the civic center downtown because the goal is to make it a nationwide conference. We are partnering with the Humanities um, uh, Alliance of Minnesota and the Humanities Alliance of Virginia and several other places. So it'll be open to Yes, it'll to be the open public. to everyone. Wow. And, and okay. we just, again, the idea is just to try to bring some healing mm-hmm. because, um, yeah, I think about the Apostle Paul. I, I cannot help but believe that because he held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen, Mm-hmm. There was something in him that, you know, he says that you know, the worthy saying of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Mm-hmm. And, and I cannot help but believe that him standing by watching this innocent man being killed probably affected his psyche. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talks about I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. I, I still think that probably part of his yielding to grace, part of his being stoned and getting back up, part of everything else that happened to him may have been not only his love for God, but maybe his guilt mm. at, at watching an innocent man um, suffer. One other thing, and then I'll shut up. Um, <laughs> there was a member who, who was a, he was a white man, actually. Uh, his name is Reverend Lamar Weaver. He was a member of our church. Uh, latter part of his life, but he was one of he was the first white man to testify uh, in at the um, government level about what was going on here in Birmingham. Wow! But he got he got involved in the civil rights movement in 1957. Uh, that's when his again that's when his house was shot up. His father in law came down, took his kids away oh from goodness. him. He didn't know where they were. His wife divorced him. Mm. They ran him out of town. He was told he never he should never come back here ever again. And he never lived here in Birmingham ever again. Mm. But he did come back to join our church, although he lived in Atlanta. But I asked Reverend Weaver uh, once. I said, Reverend Weaver, in nineteen fifty seven, white people did not get involved in what black people were doing. Why in the world would you risk everything? to get involved. And he said, when I was eight years old, I was riding the back of my parents' car. We were going someplace. And I, we stopped someplace and I saw a black man get beaten and get lynched. Mm. And he says, as I grew older, it traumatized me so much that I said, when I get to be a man, I will never, ever sit by and watch somebody get taken advantage of and not try to help. Mm. But the point is, at eight years old, the trauma mm-hmm. of watching a man beaten and of watching a man being lynched stay with him the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And there are people who have that, that kind of trauma, whether it's um, because they were raped or they were sodomized or whatever happened. And, and for many of them, as I said, there has not been that bomb in Gilead. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Jeremiah says, is there a bomb in Gilead? Is there a healing? And so what we're trying to do is bring that bomb to the church. That's that's awesome. And if you, I mean, if you would just keep us posted. Absolutely, you know I will. Because um, I mean, I know we would love to mm-hmm. 
the common to be a part yeah, absolutely. of that. If we, we can pull it off the way you want to, I think it will be just a great healing mm-hmm. because, as I said, sometimes, sometimes we don't allow for middle ground. We, we push people to extremes. Right. You know, if you're black, you've got to be democratic. You've got to believe in that. Well, all people don't believe in that. All black people don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. All black people can't play basketball. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> you're just pushed into extremes. Right. And, and we need to have a nice, wide middle ground so that people can be wherever God has placed them mm-hmm. on that continuum rather than living at the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we want to provide the healing. Mm-hmm. We, we want to be God's agent to help be that bomb in Gilead. Thomas, we appreciate you taking time Our out pleasure. of your week so much. Uh, to come. We always uh, love just hearing your heart uh, the wisdom that the Lord has blessed you with over the years, just uh, in life and ministry. Um, and, yeah, we just really thank you well, for... My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Appreciate both of you as well. Hope you have a great holiday. Thank you. You too. Well, yeah. we hope that uh, everyone listening has a, a Merry Christmas as well because you won't hear from us again until next week. Uh, we will have an episode that will come out next week, though. We've got mm-hmm. another interview uh, with Josh and Meg, uh, two of our missionaries uh, here from Shades that will come out next week, and you'll want to listen as they update about uh, their move to Poland coming up next year. So, But, Thomas, thank uh, you so much. Thank you. And uh, from all of us here at Shades, Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Have you said Merry Little Christmas? <laughs> <laughs>